So please note this podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. And I am Carl LaRue. I'm a clinician scientist that work at uh, University College Dublin. And I want to welcome you to the sixth and final episode in our Clinical Knowledge into Practice podcast series on obesity. This is where we are going to be asking what's next in anti-obesity medication um, as we think about how we are treating the disease of obesity. Now, each of these podcasts in the series is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA Category 1 credits. You can claim these credits uh, by visiting clinical.knowledgeintopractice.com, where all you have to do is answer a few pre- and post-activity questions. You'll find a link uh, to the website in the episode notes um, of your podcast app. The podcast series is supported by an educational grant from Eli Lilly, but they had no influence on the content or the faculty we selected. So now in the last five episodes, we have had some very interesting discussions with experts on a range of topics that really show how far we have come in obesity care over the past decade. These include how there has been a shift in how we view obesity as a disease, with more and more people agreeing that it is a disease rather than a choice. Now, how weight loss can improve some of the complications associated with the disease of obesity, what level of weight loss we should hope to achieve, and how we have been tackling some of the stigma associated for obesity. And finally, how there's been a recent approval of effective anti-obesity medications. It has left us at a point where obesity treatment guidelines generally agree that the most appropriate approach for the treatment of the disease of obesity combines nutritional therapies, um, exercise therapies, behavior therapies, pharmacotherapies, and surgical therapies. So we really need all of these approaches, you know, for our patients. So, so if you haven't listened to those podcasts, then please do check them out. But what of the future of patients with obesity? Do you foresee any future changes in obesity care over the next few years? And is there anything to get excited about, such as new treatments in the pipeline, new types of lifestyle interventions, or updates to guidelines? So here to play scientific soothsayer um, with me is Professor Luca Bussetto, um, who is the Associate Professor of Internal Medicine at the Department of Medicine of the University of uh, Padua in Italy. Um, and his list of achievements in the field of obesity are as long as you will ever see. But here are a few. He was the past president of the Italian Obesity Society, a former member of the National Board of the Italian Society of Bariatric and Metabolic Surgery, former co-chairman of the Obesity Management Task Force of EASO, and now vice president of EASO, of the southern uh, region. So you can find links to both of our disclosures in the episode notes. And the Professor Brusetto, thank you very much for joining today. Thank you, Carl, for the invitation. It, it is a real pleasure to be here with you and now, our colleagues. 
Ah, no, this is lovely. And and so briefly, um, why is it important that obesity is viewed as a chronic disease um, for physicians and patients alike? I think that it's extremely important, uh, um, in particular, for the, the problem of the organization of care. So until now, the, the, the treatment of, of obesity the management of obesity as much more be more concentrated on the short term results on weight loss per se not uh, uh, thinking to the long term and not preparing the patients and the setting of care for the long term if we recognize that obesity is a chronic disease we need to make a shift and to consider the treatment and the management of obesity as a chronic disease exactly as we consider the treatment and management of other chronic diseases, like for instance, uh, type two diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and both the patients and the physician and the healthcare system should be organized in this way. Uh, I know uh, from my personal experience that this could be a tough uh, thing to be accepted by the patients, because still now many patients believe that they can solve obesity in a few, and this is not true. This uh, will be a shift also for many other colleagues, and hopefully this will be a shift also for our healthcare system, because at least in my country, Italy, but I, I know that it's the same in uh, many countries in Europe, in the, in the world. At the moment, obesity is not really treated as we treat other chronic diseases. And in my opinion, this is quite a, an ethical situation. I must say to you, the last few months, uh, last year or so, has really been quite challenging for me because now we do have incredibly new anti-obesity medications. And when I treat patients now and the responses that I see um, and the improvements that I see is way beyond what I thought we would be able to achieve. But, um, you know, there's also new things coming. So what do you think can we be looking out for for the new medications in the pipeline that we'll, we will have in two, three, four years from now? Um, there is a, a lot of, of, of news coming out. So um, now uh, we are we are using the the most advanced uh, GLP-1 allergos that we have, in particular semaglutide, and uh, uh, um, we we will see advances in in the formulation of this drug. We are in phase three for uh, uh, studies uh, uh, looking at the oral formulation of semaglutide 50 milligram for the treatment of obesity. Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, published results uh, for the um, association in between semaglutide and carglinintide, that is an amylin. Uh, um, analogs that seems to potentiate this association has been started. We are now starting to use in the United States uh, for type 2 diabetes in Europe, maybe very soon we will have for type 2 diabetes and hopefully also for obesity, 
the dual agonist uh, uh, GLP-1 GIP, uh, the name is terzepatide, uh, and the results are really very impressive. Uh, we have a, a lot of uh, clinical trial already published showing more than 20%, around 22% of weight loss in the first year, with very positive results, of course, also on uh, obesity-associated uh, uh, risk factors and metabolic abnormalities. Uh, so the, 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 the field is moving. Uh, limiting to, to what has been published, I, 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 I would like to remember also uh, some data that we have on new uh, GLP-1 non-peptidic uh, uh, formulation or uh, uh, drugs. In particular, uh, we have Orfoglipron, that is a new pep new new GLP-1 uh, non-peptidic, uh, uh, um, a small molecule. The results that we have so far seems to be extremely encouraging, and uh, probably the the fact that we can use non-peptide uh, 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 GLP-1 analog could also facilitate the production uh, of these of these drugs, helping us to solve this big problem of availability that we have uh, uh, in the current uh, um, moment. And finally, uh, I, I, I want also to remember that we have mm, triple agonists on the next future, uh, we have a molecule uh, um, uh, GLP-1, GIP, and glucagon analogs uh, that it's extremely uh, interesting. We have at the moment only uh, uh, initial results, but uh, I am sure that uh, these these very positive results will will mandate the starting of a phase three program also for this new. Uh, compound that is called retatrutide. Very difficult to pronounce, but I I, I did. <laughs> so, and this is only what we have published because we know that many other companies, they are working on, on this area of the gastrointestinal hormone with new GLP-1 analogs, with new double analogs, GLP-1 and glucagon, and, and so on. So I think that uh, the next year we will we will have more and more uh, uh, possibilities to help patients. And probably the real problem will be not more the efficacy, but the availability and affordability of the drug, because this, 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 this is a real change always followed your work and you as an internal medicine doctor have done a lot of work and also understanding bariatric surgery but how do you think these new anti-obesity medications are going to work as adjuncts um, or adjuvant therapy to surgery? Um, I, I had a lot of discussion with my colleagues, the, the surgeons colleagues in, in the last year because of course we 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 will try to to understand which will be the respective position of medical pharmacological treatment and bariatric surgery in the in the future but i really believe that probably uh, um the combination of the two treatments will be the future so uh, um um we will have patients not responding to drugs in which bariatric surgery will be still needed and uh, on the opposite, we will uh, we have patients uh, showing 
a poor weight loss after bariatric surgery or showing weight regain after bariatric surgery. And for these particular patients, the combination of the new anti-obesity medications with bariatric procedures will be a good uh, um, way for solving the problem. We have initial experiences published for, about the use of GLP-1 analogs after bariatric surgery. We have also um, uh, two randomized clinical trials in this field, uh, one uh, in people with type 2 diabetes uh, and uh, one in people with obesity and poor weight loss response to bariatric surgery. Both these trials have been performed with liraglutide, but I am sure that there are many other studies undergoing with the new anti-obesity medications. And apart from the clinical experiences that we can already have, we will have also evidence-based uh, um, evidences about the, the, the combination of anti-obesity medications and bariatric surgery for optimizing the outcome of our patients. And, and what do you think is going to be the major shifts in the recommendations of future guidelines? Um, I, I hope, and I am also working on that, that uh, uh, the the uh, with IESO and uh, also with other initiatives that are running uh, in 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 this in these periods, we hope that uh, uh, we will have two major shifts. Um, the first one will be uh, the abandoning of BMI or degree of obesity are the major driver of the choice of intervention that we do. So at the moment, the guidelines are, are, are specify which level of BMI you can use bariatric surgery, you can use anti-obesity medication. BMI is, uh, is a problematic per se, as we know. And also this, this, this way of, of thinking is, is a bit hold, in my opinion. So the choice of the, the, the intensiveness of the, of the intervention should be more guided by the severity of obesity as a disease that simple by a BMI number. And this should be the first point. The second important point, in my opinion, in, in order to, 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 be, to, 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 to be more adherent to the way in which we treat other chronic disease is to move the treatment of obesity to the concept of target of weight loss. Because of course, we know now that for improving, resolving or preventing obesity medications, we need certain number of weight loss. We can have a patients with a very good health status in which maybe weight loss is not needed or even a small amount of weight loss could be beneficial and accepted. But we have evidence that for the prevention and the treatment of more advanced complications like sleep apnea, uh, cardiovascular prevention, um, uh, um, heart failure, um, type 2 diabetes, for the remission of type 2 diabetes, we need more important level of weight loss, at least 10, 15%. So 
I, I hope that the new guidelines could provide with some indication about a treat to target concept. That's a, I completely agree with you. I think those two are going to be the major shifts and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's such an exciting period that, you know, we're entering. And this brings us to the end of this sixth and final episode of Clinical Knowledge into Practice podcast series. I really want to thank um, Professor Vicetto for helping us see into the future. It will certainly be interesting to see how many of these predictions come true. Um, have a look in the podcast episode notes as they will include a link to the Clinical Knowledge into Practice website where you can claim your CME credits for this episode. Um, as this is the final episode, I just wanted to extend my thanks to you for all for listening. I hope you have found the topics as educational and interesting as I have. And thank you for listening. Thank you.